morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. As longtime listeners of our show uh, know, each and every week I have the pleasure of unpacking the weekly Torah portion, the parasha as it's known in Hebrew, with a guest darshan, with a guest scholar. This week, the Torah portion that is read in synagogues throughout the world, Jewish world, is known as Vayishlach, and usually translated as he sent. It begins in the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis and continues through the 36th chapter. I'm going to give you, the listeners, an overview of our Torah portion And then my guest and I will select uh, some of the more uh, important uh, aspects of the Torah portion to unpack. In this week's Torah portion, Jacob, the third of the patriarchs, returns to the land of Canaan after a 20-year stay in Haran. And he sends emissaries to Esau, his brother, in hope of effecting a reconciliation. But his messengers report back that his brother is on the war path with 400 armed men. Joseph prepares for war. He then, the Torah portion, tells us praise and sends Esau a large gift consisting of heads of livestock in the hopes of appeasing him. That night, Jacob ferries his family and possessions across the Yabok River. He, however, remains behind and during the evening encounters an angel with whom he wrestles with until daybreak. Jacob suffers a dislocated hip, but vanquishes this unnamed creature who bestows upon him the name Israel, which means he who wrestles with the divine. Following this unusual encounter, which sometimes is described as a dream, but more about that in a few seconds, Jacob and his brother Esau meet, and in spite of his anxiety, uh, they embrace and kiss, but they then part ways. Jacob purchases a plot of land near Shechem, whose crown prince is also uh, called Shechem, who then uh, meets with Jacob's daughter, Dina, and an event occurs, which is usually identified as a rape. Uh, Dina's brother, Simeon and Levi, avenge the deed, uh, even though the uh, Shem and his father have said that they wish to marry Dina, but Simeon and Levi uh, convince them that they must uh, circumcise themselves before they can marry their sister. And while they are recovering from male circumcision, the two brothers avenge their sister's rape by killing all the men, male inhabitants of the city. Jacob remains, rem- remains fairly mute about this significant event, other than to comment, it makes him makes it hard to have neighborly relations. Jacob continues on his journey. Rachel, his most beloved wife, dies while giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. 
and is buried in a roadside grave near Bethlehem. Reuben loses the birthright because he interferes with his father's marital life. Jacob arrives in Hebron to reunite with his father Isaac, who the Torah portion tells us dies at the age of 180. Our Torah portion concludes with a rather mundane accounting of Esau's wives, children, and grandchildren, the family history of the people of Seir, among whom Esau settled, and a list of the eight kings who ruled Edom, the land of Esau and Seir's descendants. As you might tell from this brief overview, there are both significant uh, stories here and um, a genealogy at the end. Our guest this morning, to help us better understand this, is Rabbi Phil M. Cohn, an award-winning author and an ordained rabbi who holds both a PhD in Jewish thought and an MFA in fictions. He is both a published author and known as a wonderful congregational rabbi and teacher. Uh, rabbi Cohn's passion for storytelling emerges from his love of reading fiction and his commitment to the Jewish tradition. Through his education, he's learned how to create and interpret stories, which he'll be helping us do this morning. From his rabbinic work, he's gained insight into the world, both the physical world and the world that lies inside of us. Uh, Rabbi Cohn, it is certainly uh, a pleasure to welcome you to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Uh, and perhaps you can tell our uh, audience about your published works before we turn to the Torah portion. Well, I'll focus on one. I've got some stories that have been published. I want to, like, I won a prize from Moment Magazine for a story, and that's that's available online. You can find it just by googling "Call Me Gefilte." But um, my novel "Nick Bones Underground," which has been published now for a couple of years, is about to be issued into the world. Well, reissued it is. Yeah, reissued into the world, and that that's a science fiction novel with Jewish content but also um, discusses some of the implicit in the novel or some of the discussions that we're having now about artificial intelligence because the second major character in the book is an AI, is an AI computer. Um, also, I'm also engaged in a scholar, in the, I'm, on the, I'm at the beginning of a scholarly project on the, the issues of death and dying in Judaism. I'm going to be pursuing that pretty seriously over the next couple of years. So. And that book is available through Amazon? Amazon and, uh, you know, all other kinds of places like that. Lovely. Well, thank you. And um, I have read the book and I recommend it to our listeners. Um, this week's Torah portion, as I indicated, has this very unusual episode, um, a second dream experience for Jacob, the first one wherein he sees angels going up and down, a ladder that reaches from earth to the heavens. But in this uh, dream or in this evening occurrence, he encounters, well, you tell the audience, what does he encounter? Well, you, you want me to give the answer to that. Well, it's not clear what, <laughs> it's not clear what he encounters. There are several, there are a couple of hints along the way. 
But let me contrast this story. I'll get back to it in a second with last week's story, with the, the story of, of, of Jacob, where he really was asleep. This really was a dream. He lays down in the middle of the desert. He's run away from home because his brother Esau wants to kill him because he, Jacob, is just the family blessing. Um, he's on his way to Haran, where based on this week's Torah portion and the end of last week's, he does quite well. Um, but that dream, in that dream, God appears to him standing next to Jacob, actually. Jacob in the dream, I guess, is standing up. It's the famous story with the, with the ladder and the angels going up and down. But God is standing right beside him and saying to him, look, Jacob, I'm going to take care of you. You, you, know, you, you, you do my law. I'll bring you back safely. And it's a very comforting moment, um, just precisely the, the kind of encounter with God Jacob needed at that point. This week, he's under the threat of attack by his brother. He hears that his brother has 400 soldiers. He's, he divides the camp and, 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 the, and the possibility that these 400 soldiers fall down on one camp, the other camp can get away. Um, and this, in, in this time, he's not his 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 emotions are very different than in the first dream he's he's palpably scared he doesn't know he can't handle an attack by 400 soldiers and here he encounters a man that's what the text says it is but it's a very unusual man it, it's uh, but is it god is it an angel is it is it something diabolical i once heard an interpretation that it is something diabolical I'll get to and I'll get back to in just a second. But the, the core of this story, in contradistinction to, to the last week, to last week's story, is that they wrestle and they wrestle powerfully all through the night. We don't have any idea if it's six hours or eight hours or four hours. But I once learned, and I'm going to credit this to Art Waskow, from whom I first heard this interpretation, he made this point. If anybody has ever wrestled in high school or college or has observed a wrestling match, not, not the professional stuff, but, you know, the real encounter of two people in isometric uh, 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 combat with each other, these, these matches last, if, I, if memory serves, a series of three-minute rounds, maybe two, ma- two, two rounds or three. I can't remember. I'm sorry. Well, uh, when I was wrestling in high school, it was three two-minute rounds. Okay, exactly. I think they've changed it a little bit, but the, the point is it's not everlasting. And, it's, and at the end of six minutes of wrestling, the wrestlers are exhausted. It's an exhausting exercise. So imagine Jacob and this man engaged all night in that kind of exercise. And the point, I think, is that, um, uh, you know, the, the Torah likes to describe physicality it, 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 to indicate internal things that are going on internally. So here, Jacob is wrestling with this guy all night, and, and he, you know, neither, of them, neither of them wins. In fact, the, the, this being says that, that, that uh, dawn is coming, you have to let me go. And that was, that, that's part of the interpretation I heard once that, the, that this is kind of a, some kind of diabolical or not, creature of the night because he has to leave by daybreak. But, but neither of them wins. Now, if it's God, then God has had to withhold God's power, but not, not so much that Jacob doesn't, 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 doesn't demonstrate real strength, real inner strength. And, and part of that, that in part seems to me to be the point of the story. Last week, he needed comfort. This week, he needed to see the strength that he possessed, that he acquired 
over all these years of working with uh, with his uncle, two wives, all these kids, you know, handmaidens. He's he's he he needs to be shown through this event that he's achieved a certain kind of internal power, kind of a manhood, I guess. That um, that that he that he needs to know about, and we need to see. Now, another thing, um, you know, uh, Yaakov, his, his Hebrew name Yaakov means something like holding on to a heel, holding on to the heel, which which is which is which is what happens when he and Esau, they're twins. When he and Esau are born, Esau Esau comes out first, but Jacob is holding on to his heel. And and here here Waskow also, I remember this quite quite vividly. You know, thinks of thinks of Jacob as a heel wrestler. Um, the wrestling he does now, and which which results in the name change of Yisrael, which is I, I've never quite understood how it works out, but it means something like he who has wrestled with men and divine beings and has and has prevailed. He knows at the end of this event, and we the reader know at the end of the, this event that he Jacob has finally, in a sense, come into his own. Not just as a man, which I think I think is important, and I think the text is teaching us this, but it's also he he he. We now see if we had any doubts, and we should have had doubts, by the way, if we had any doubts that he merited the covenant because they, after all he stole it from his brother. His mom helped him along, of course, but he was he was complicit in in um, in a disguise in front of his brother. Uh, I'm sorry, in front, in front of his father Isaac. Um, we see now that he really merits the covenant. This is this is the completion of a process, and he can go home now. He can reconcile with Esau and and get on with the rest of his life. So this is this episode is the transformative moment for the third of the patriarchs. For most of the story of Jacob, he's not uh, presented to us as anyone who you would want to honor as a patriarch. Uh, as you've indicated, he's uh, stolen the birthright from uh, his brother. He's stolen the blessing from his brother by trickery uh, uh, from his blind father or his father who was elderly with poor eyesight. Um, and in this episode, as you've indicated, it seems to be a more internal wrestling than external. Uh, perhaps we interpret it that way because it's taken place at night um, and that it seems to be reflective of his coming to grips with who he is and who he's supposed to be. Um, I'm wondering, as you indicated to our audience, the Torah portion is a bit obscure about um, who, with whom Jacob is wrestling. Do you have a personal favorite interpretation? Though you did indicate the text calls it an ish, but throughout Genesis, the word ish is often used to describe um, uh, unidentified individuals in the Joseph story. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that, you know, we have uh, wandering and he meets an ish and says, which way do I go? Right. And there are other indications of that. So do you have a personal favorite understanding of this? Well, I, I guess... <laughs> I guess if you you know I, I don't know if I've ever been asked this directly. I mean I've taught this story any number of times. Um, I mean is it God? Is it an angel? Is it a diabolical creature? Is it is it is it a literal man? Well, it's probably not a literal man. Um, is it God? Well, you know, 
uh, our our sort of medieval notion of what God is precludes the idea that this is God because this this is a body. It's and at the same time, I always, I also resist the, the idea that that this is a this this is an unspoken dream that this is happening in a sleeping. I, I think the text wants us to believe in the context of the story that this is an event that's actually happening in real time. So I guess I got to vote for some kind of angelic type creature, a, a messenger, um, uh, such as, you know, the messengers who appear before uh, Abraham and Sarah to announce that Sarah is going to get pregnant. The three of those four characters then go to um, go to Sodom and they, they hang out with Lot for a while. But to my knowledge, there's no other instance where something, a person, a, a being that's identified as a uh, uh, as, as an angel actually has physical contact. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe the text wants us to think of it as a mystery, but I resist in the context of the story. I'm not suggesting this is a historical event. That whole, that whole issue is another conversation. But in the context of the story, this is intended to be a real event. The nature of the being, I guess I have to leave to some extent in, 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 in limbo. Although I, I, now that I think about it, sorry. You know, first of all, the wrestling match lasts all night. But second, what happens at the end of the wrestling match? We kind of didn't get there. I mentioned that, of course, so the, 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 character, the, the character says, the person says, I got to go. The sun is rising. Jacob says, I won't let you go till you bless me. And, and that's, when, that's when he gets, what's your name? Jacob, Jacob, he says. Well, no longer will your name be Jacob. For now it will be Yisrael because you've striven with beings divine and human and have prevailed. So that name catches on. And, and then, of course, the, this creature um, twists his hip, twists Jacob's hip, and he and he um, he limps for the rest of his life. And for that reason, Jews who keep kosher are not allowed to eat sirloin steak because in memory in memory of Jacob's uh, hip dislocation. So well, let me just say one more thing. So out, of, out, of, out of that, of course, emerges the uh, Yisrael, the, the person, and then of course. The, the, from that point on, we, we're not. We, I mean, we are sometimes called B'nai Avraham. Certainly, there are enough there are enough synagogues out there with that name. The sons of the sons of the children of Abraham. You don't hear the children of Isaac so much. B'nai B'nai Yitzchak. You do hear you, you do hear Yaakov, and there's a lot of counterplay in in uh, especially in the Psalms between Yaakov and Yisrael uh, for for the purposes of poetry, but really. We are from this point on the people of this person, and we're not we're not generally known as Bene, the sons of Jacob, Bene Yaakov. We're known as Bene Yisrael, the sons of Israel. So that the the idea of this person's identity that he acquires in the power of the night, in a sense, not in a real sense, becomes the identity of his of his successors, of his ancestors moving forward, which is us, which is us Jews. Um, and so, so going back to your question. Whoever that being was, a person, uh, 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 some kind of demonic being, God, 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 God's very self or something angelic, that being had the power to really rewrite who, who we become subsequently. And, and, and of course, there's, there are only three patriarchs. We don't, we, we could legitimate, we could argue, we, why aren't we known as the, the sons of Joseph? He has such a large part in the story moving forward. But it starts, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And or Abraham, Isaac, and Yisrael, um, and, and in that sense, the story the story has there. There are so many wonderful stories in the Torah. So many 
terrific stories in the book of Genesis, this is really one of the most powerful. Uh, Well, as I said earlier, it's transformative, not only for Jacob, but for the entirety of uh, history. Because as you've pointed out, and uh, I remind our listeners that the change of name becomes the appellation by which the tribes who emerge out of Jacob's children are known uh, throughout history then. They are known as B'nai Yisrael, the Israelites, and throughout the biblical account, they will be known as the Israelites or the sons of Israel. Uh, It will be uh, many hundreds of years later that they will be known as Judeans long after the split, the exile, they will be known as the Judeans and the split between the North and the South. Um, And long long before um, they become known as Jews, they will be known as Israelites. Um, In the time that's left to us, let's leave Jacob and turn to one of the more uh, challenging stories Uh, Jacob's story is ripe with homiletics, and it uh, offers us great opportunity to wrestle with the meaning of it. But when we have this story of Dina and the events that take place with Dina, the only daughter of Jacob, uh, we're told that she goes out to uh, look upon the maiden's of Shem. Uh, we're not quite sure what that means. In the context of the story, there are many interpretations. And then there's an encounter with the uh, son of the chief of Shem. Uh, and he, I guess, the crown prince. Uh, and he's not known as William, but he's known as Shem from the land that he comes from. And then He takes her, has relationships with her, and seems to suggest after he's um, had relationships with her that he is desperately in love with her. But um, the brothers, her brothers, Simeon and Levi, um, are insulted by this and choose to uh, annihilate the people of Shem. Mm. Why is this story necessary? Well, is it necessary? It's a a terrible story, and it's a story that reflects poorly on the two brothers, Simon or Shimon and Levi. It doesn't reflect badly on Dina. She seems to be kind of like a placeholder. She doesn't really, she's not really an actor. She's a victim, and and I don't mean to take away away what happened to her, but she's not really an actor in this story. and and yeah, and Jacob, as you pointed out, is kind of a is kind of passive, kind of passively looks on, and which in a sense um, is a is a dark is a mark against his against this new title that he's just recently acquired. I mean, look, um, the, the, from this point on, of course, what happens? In the, I don't know if it's the next Torah portion, to be honest, or the one after that. What happens? These same brothers sell Joseph into slavery, right? And it's 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 a it's a it's a characteristic of the book of Genesis. I guess I'm going to re- re- retreat to this. It's a characteristic of the book of Genesis that we see a lot of dark moments. This is one of the darkest. We see a lot of dark moments. Cain kills Abel. Uh, I won't talk about Adam and Eve because I have an interpretation of that story. 
you know, there's so much sin that God has to destroy the world. And there's the Tower of Babel. Um, and there's, there's Noah's drunkenness at the end of the flood. It, 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 it's, it's either, I don't want to say either or. It's, it, it's the author telling us about the dark side of the human personality. There's no justification for these two brothers to take such drastic revenge on, on, on what may or may not have been an actual rape of the sister. Um, and, and in that sense, I mean, I don't have, I don't have any homiletic. No, I, I think it's a story that does not lend itself to homiletics. It's a story yeah. that raises far too many questions. Um, and Dina being the only daughter, of right. course, disappears from the uh, narrative after this. Uh, we right. don't have any yeah. indication of how she responds to uh, the slaughter of uh, the man who had proposed and had offered marriage. Right. Uh, we don't have any knowledge. Um, the Torah, which so rarely gives women a uh, leading role in the narrative, um, gives us this story. Right. Um, she seems to be um, mute or speechless. So what she's thinking about all of this is unknown to us. Um, and of course, you're right. In this sense, it continues the notion of human beings uh, not being perfect. We've just experienced Jacob's transformation into what you so correctly indicated is his role as the uh, patriarch who has faith, who's committed to the covenant, who seems to be interested in a life beyond himself. He's a little less narcissistic than he had previously been presented as. And soon as he confronts the major, first major issue, he's silent. He's silent, yeah. And of course, he goes on. He, he, he also, just to continue this line a bit, He's not the best father in the world, which is, of course, what, what results in the brothers being so angry at, at, at Joseph because because uh, Jacob favors him so drastically that they you know they sell him into slavery. Um, another an, another another wicked deed on, that, that that the Book of Genesis teaches us about. Um, but but uh, I mean I want I want if I can we got a little bit of time left I want to backtrack just to I think I think something that's kind of even even sort of humorous, and that is when Jacob meets up with Esau, and uh, and they and they hug and they kiss. Now the 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 uh, the musical notes above the Hebrew word and they kiss is called a shalshelet. I mean, and it's it's a very long note, and and it's used very infrequently in the Torah. Um, and the problem with it, the problem with it is nobody knows quite how to interpret it. It could because I see I've looked at the commentaries. It could be seen either way, either reluctance or actually great warmth. Um, and, and so I'm not going to go there. But what happens is there's this negotiation, and and Jacob and, and Esau says, "Come with me to Seir." Jacob says, "We're slow. We got animals and women." But okay, well, you follow me to Seir, and and he Esau goes to Seir, and Jacob goes to Sukkot. And it, it, it kind of cracks me up. He never intended to go with his brother. And, and I think that is an indicator, really, of, of, of significant distrust that he, uh, uh, that he, Jacob, feels towards Esau. He was never going to go to Seir. 
I, I appreciate your ending on that note. And unfortunately, we do have to bring our uh, conversation to a close. My guest today has been Rabbi Phil M. Cohen, an author and a scholar. And I want to thank him for helping us unpack this week's Torah portion. You can hear a broadcast of our show at uh, CHRI 99.1 or a podcast of it on the CHRI.ca website, or you can download it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you a good day and shalom. Shalom.